This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we have two guests this week from the worst bestsellers who we have with us. Do I go? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's what I hope would happen. I set you up. (laughs) Who's here? You should go first. Do it alphabetically. Okay. Uh, so I'm Kate. I'm one of the co-hosts of Worst Bestsellers. I'm Renata. I'm the other co-host of Worst Bestsellers, and we're super professional. <laughs> Both of us. <laughs> we had the pleasure of having Craig and Andrew on our show earlier this year to discuss how the secret is toxic and awful, um, which is something we like to do on our show periodically, and we are very happy to have them there to do it this year. Yeah, Andrew, that was your experts. that was your time revisiting the secret. As I recall, your feelings were mostly the same. I just <laughs> I don't worse. think you can you can't revisit if you never left. So. Well. <laughs> <laughs> but I here's live the by thing. the tenets of the secret. Is so our podcast, as you if you're not familiar, you can probably guess from the title, we read bad books like the secret. But I used the secret to get to come on overdue to talk about a good book. So it did work. <laughs> That's, That's actually point. one of my one of my questions for y'all is like, was it was it feel like to read a good one? Uh, it's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> it is, and we came off we came off a real bad one. Um, the last one we did, well, I guess we did Benicula this week too, and that one was very good. But that's an um, excellent book. We just did the five people you meet in heaven, and. Ooh. Whew, <laughs> That's we certainly a book. We cannot get derailed talking about the five people you meet in heaven. I'll die and go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Am I allowed to say hell in your... Yeah, I can say yes. hell. Yeah, you, you can say... Especially boys. when you're, you're referencing boys. the place. Great. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, literally, let's talk about this book instead, Great. please. <laughs> uh, so you were both kind enough to read uh, what is the title, Renata? You have a, a handy reminder so you get yes. it right. Um, I I will name my fear and claim it. And my fear is that I'm going to say this title incorrectly. Mm-hmm. The correct title is The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. But I keep getting it mixed up in my head with Hot, Flat, and Crowded by Thomas Friedman, which is just another reason to be mad at Thomas Friedman. Like, I needed it. Um, so I keep putting hot in the title somewhere, like it's a small hot planet. And it's in the book, actually, it's not clear what temperature the angry planet is. Well, and it's written it's written by Becky Chambers. By Becky Chambers. And it was uh, it was Patreon recommended to us, patreon.com, so I'll show you uh, by Daniel and Teresa. Thank you, Daniel and Teresa. I think you could just use the acronym TULITASAP if oh, you that's really TULITASAP if you really need to just shorten it all up. I'm just going to call it the. <laughs> that's good. 
Now, had either of you heard of Becky Chambers before? We gave you guys like a menu of things, and you you actually selected this one. So was it a book that was on either of your radar before? You know, it it was a book that I'd been meaning to make time for, I will say. Um, it had been recommended to me personally a couple times by a couple different people, and I was like, I don't have time to read this because I have to read bad books for my bad book podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, it had been recommended by a couple different people to me as well. A few people who are friends who were like, I think you would like this. And one memorable um, OkCupid okay date that went on far too long where she was really pushing it. Um, and I even like what, to the point. Kate, was your date with Becky Chambers? <laughs> it was not. She's married. I just think you. Would, I just think you would love this book. Was like, it? It was a it was long some... way to a small angry restaurant. Was it, perhaps <laughs> she. Um. Like I even opened my OverDrive app and was like, "Look, I put a hold on it. You can stop telling me about this now." Um, and then I got rid of the hold later, but uh, <laughs> I I do have to admit to this woman who will remain nameless that I did love it. Good. So maybe she was on to something. We never went on another date. Yeah, <laughs> now you gotta now call her just, back. Now, now you just have to live with what you threw away. How's that feel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this could have been a gateway book. You never know. <laughs> Um, but so before we get to the book proper, we like to do uh, author or genre or other book info. Um, Andrew, what do you know about Becky Chambers? I know that Becky Chambers was born in 1985, which is the year that I was born in. Me too. Oh, Me nice. too. 1985 <sighs> rules. You're really, you're probably stupid if you were born in any other year. <laughs> How's it going, guys? I'm just waiting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm over here in 1986. It's cool, I think. Uh, it's fine. It's it's cool because it's adjacent to 1985. Yeah, well. It's the coolest year to be born. Um, so this this book, Tulawutasap, is her first novel. It's the first book in the Wayfarers series, which is uh, three books long right now. And she uh, self-published it in 2014, after um, doing a Kickstarter for it in 2012. So she was asking, I think, for $2,500 so she could work half-time for a couple months and, and just work on the book, which I most of the Kickstarters I pay attention to are for like technology things or, or video game things where success happens in the like hundreds of thousands of dollars range usually yes. and i'm always like craig i think you kickstarted a play or something like way back in the day yes and i think for, that like, was 500 for bucks. 500 and, then, and, the, <laughs> and the, the threshold for success is just so much so much lower in a way that i'm not used to <laughs> yeah because i think she was like a she was doing i don't know what other freelance writing she was doing but i know she was doing like technical writing for a period of time and she had said that like it was kind of drying up and she had the book like two-thirds of the way done or three quarters of the way done and was like well what if i just like so what if people just help me get to the finish line which is kind of an yeah. interesting way to think about it like it wasn't like i'm gonna start this book and you'll be here from the very beginning of it yeah so uh she did I, that I, in... can i interject with a question yeah do it mm. uh did it say do you know had she written fan fiction before this yes um, she has i looked okay. on her website Thank yes Kate, yeah i'm glad tell somebody us. knew <laughs> 
Because part of the reason this was recommended to me, I forget which person, but someone was like, oh, it it has the feel of, like, fan fiction, but, like, for a thing that doesn't actually exist. Mm. And I found that to be true in a way that was very appealing. And so I had that in mind. And then also if she was... I wondered if she was maybe trying to leverage, like, fans of fan fiction to funding her novel. Or, like, how uh. did she get these people to fund yeah, her that's, novel? Yeah, that's a good point. Because it's if you're... T- that's a an average of like fifty bucks per donation, and if you're gonna have fifty three people, like nobody has that many grandparents, so <laughs> <laughs> you have to have some established fan base, I think, to to be able to pull that level of support. Kate, did not you say? Even, and here's here's a book from here's a joke Ooh. from the Wayfarer series. Not even a member of the Andrask species has that many grandparents. Whoa, and they have nice. a lot. I, <laughs> that's a really I like the, joke. and they have a lot. Just in case you needed to know. In case you didn't get it. Kate, you. Said <laughs> Wait, do you know what fan fiction she wrote, Kate? Or is it just that you know that she did? I don't. I just know that she did. I was on her website after I finished it, trying to look up to see, um, essentially, if she was planning on writing any more books with the characters from this sure, book, which sure. I think we'll get to later. And she had a fan fiction slash fan art section of her FAQ, mm. which was, fan fiction is great. Like, please write it as much as you want. I used to write it. I love it. You know, I love that people want to do this, but did not go into any specifics. Um, okay. And it's not generally like the the people who hit it that big, like we hear about it yeah. in the fan community. Like you're like, oh, yeah, like we remember writing with her in Harry Potter days or whatever. So if she was very active in fandom, I don't think she was necessarily like a big name fan, quote unquote. I okay. did. I did see in a Barnes and Noble interview from 2018, I think, where she said the phrase, I have a locally hosted wiki in reference to her like wow. writing process for the okay. universe. So like to your point, we're not about it being like fiction based in a thing that doesn't exist already or like a, a not a property that exists already. It seems like she's kind of built out the world and the fiction on her own. And then that's, is choosing to write stories there. That tracks 100%. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, so yeah, after she self-published this in, in 2014, she was picked up by a publisher in 2015. Um, it was Hotter and Stoughton, I think. And then you, like you everything's that. owned by HarperCollins or something now. Everything's so, yeah. HarperCollins. <laughs> so yeah, it all is It all is under that giant like HarperCollins hatchet umbrella now. Yeah. Um, and it was republished in 2015, and then they have been, you know, that general amalgamation of publishing houses is who she's been with since. And she's published two other books. Um, what did I, I have the names of? A Closed and Common Orbit is the second one. And Record and then, of a Spaceborn. Okay. Record, a record of a Spaceborn Few. Oh, Record of a Space. Oh, well, I just thought that was me mistyping a different word in that sentence. Yep, Record of a <laughs> yeah. Spaceborn Few. Okay. Uh, uh, Becky? <laughs> Becky? Come- hey, Becky, it's Andrew. I hope. I'm. How are you? I'm good. Um, hey, Becky, you I write, like your hair. Could, but... could, you do a, could you do a short one? <laughs> a short title? Do a short title, please. Space Two is my new book. I'm Becky Chambers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the the first one was shortlisted for an Arthur C. Clarke Award of, um, among a bunch of other ones, and got pretty positive buzz from um, 
io9 which is a big sci-fi site um they said it's as though firefly and guardians of the galaxy had one hyperactive and excited baby um, yeah the, it is like that the guardian <laughs> in a uh, in a sci-fi roundup said it was a is a quietly profound humane tour de force that tackles politics and gender issues with refreshing optimism that's so a word like I saw coming it. up a lot. Yes, yeah, so I'll be interested. Yeah. Optimism and cheerful are words I saw ascribed to this a bunch. So I want to hear about that. Yeah, the 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 criticism I found, and this is just to to give our discussion some some shape, I guess. Like to the extent that people did have criticism, it was this world is cool. These characters are fun to spend time with. Nothing really happens <laughs> plot wise. <laughs> I think that's true, and I loved that about it. Yeah, yeah I think that's really what gives it the feel of fan fiction, because yeah. that is, like, a very popular trope, one that I adore, uh, so I did not have a criticism in that way, where you just write, like, a very long story about incidents in these characters' lives without necessarily building up to some, like, intense, meaningful climax. It's just like, here's a week in the life of these people that I love. And I mean, to be fair, this does have an intense, meaningful climax, but it's just like, well, I would say it's a long way to get there. Yeah. Okay. It's like a long, meandering way, (laughs) and it's much more invested in building up the characters and building up the world than it is in this actual event that happens. Sure. Sure. Um, the long way and the the I think the angry planet probably implies some kind of world building. So those are both in the built into the title already. So we right know there. what to expect. Yeah. Um let's well let's just get into the book cuz I feel like there's other tangents that we can take in terms of like genre or the style that she is choosing to write in, you know, how she approaches some of the character building stuff. So like if either of you were just to like dive right in, what do we need to start with? Kate, what do we need to start with? So uh, the the book largely takes place on a spaceship called the Wayfarer. And our uh, introductory character is a woman, a young woman named Rosemary Harper, who at the beginning we know she has some kind of secret and she's hiding who she is. Mm. But she is joining this ship as a clerk um, to essentially do all the administrivia that the captain doesn't want to do. And we learn also that she has a gift for languages and that she's been she's been learning a lot about other alien cultures, but maybe doesn't have a lot of like she's a sheltered. She's a sheltered young Martian woman. Okay, she has a lot of book smarts, but not a lot of street smarts. Yes, and she is a she is a human, but a human who grew up on Mars because we're in the future when nobody lives on Earth anymore. Ooh, I was going to I was wondering, like if earth factors into this book and at this all. is my understanding was that it's it's a wally situation where we were oh, no. and had to leave yes right? okay yeah. okay um wally so w- being the the creative work that invented that concept 100%. with with my intense background in science fiction i know nothing to disprove that <laughs> so like what why is she doing this like just is it just like a i gotta get out there and see the universe or is it she's, she... on, she's on the run but mm. we don't exactly know why until later okay okay yes who else works on this is it a boat it's a ship it's a sp- it's not a space yeah boat. It's, it's a space boat okay um they 
so the ship does tunneling, which is essentially um, creating like wormholes between different points in space to cut down on travel time. Oh, interesting. Um, and it's very dangerous work, but it is, uh, and also very specialized, but there are different levels of it. So they right now are doing like very bottom level like step the, sh- the shorter The shorter tunnels are the less dangerous tunnels and you need a bigger ship or more equ- equipment to do these like better paying, bigger tunnels. Yeah. Um, so the ship's captain is a human man named Ashby. Um, the pilot is an and Andrisk, and, and- yeah, Andrisk, which is an alien species that are, and her name her name is Sissix, and she their species is reptilian and horny. <laughs> do you mean like a horny toad, or do you mean like no the other kind of horny? <laughs> Randy, okay, good, good, <laughs> the best, the best kind. I I had secretly hoped that this book would get pretty horny. Well. <laughs> You Andrew, never want to assume. Now I have to it, call it, horny toads randy toads for the rest of my life. That's what <laughs> I call them now. I love going into the amphibian house at the zoo and seeing all the randy toads. Um, also on the ship are the two techs. Um, Kizzy, who's a human female, and Jenks, who's a human male. And Jenks, Jenks's mother was what's called a Gaiist, which is essentially a, like, racist against, racist religious fundamentalist Earth Xenophobic. Xenophobic yeah. Earth person who believes that Earth holds all the answers and you can only do things all naturally and... Like an extreme anti-vaxxer. Yes. Oh, no. Exactly. That's an um, interesting cocktail. And I yes. hate it. And, like, beyond Thanks, that... I hate it. Beyond that, I guess this is how we learn that like gene tweaking is a thing because they're opposed to gene tweaking. And so there are these people who are doing like wild tech things to their bodies. But Jenks's mother didn't believe in doing any kind of like medical intervention at all, basically. And so he was he has dwarfism, Mm. which like other than that, he's like a, a healthy, healthy guy. He's just small. But that's really unusual because um Normally, that people someone would have that yeah. through technology. People, yeah, yeah, people would quote unquote fix that. Yes, yes, like a Gattaca situation for sure. Okay, yes, um, yeah, that's interesting because I I do think I am anti eugenics generally speaking. But yes, <laughs> you yeah, lose me with all the these, other like, stuff. <laughs> kind of, it is raising these questions and maybe not engaging with them one hundred percent. It's just sort of like putting it out there, and then you're like, huh? Well, I don't know. Yeah, the mother actually ends up moving to sort of a middle ground where after it's a very difficult birth and both she and Jenks almost die. So after that happens, she's like, well, fuck this. And she moves to um, a science based orbiting Earth and won't accept like she won't let anyone, quote unquote, fix him, which they could still do at that point with the gene tweaking because he's very happy. Um, and he's healthy. He just has dwarfism. Um, but she is like, but maybe like we need vaccines, mm. <laughs> which is not a terrible, not a terrible middle ground to find. I think to be honest, yeah, yes. yeah. That thing you said, Andrew, that that's like a sci-fi cyberpunk thing that I'm I've become more interested in, and like 
who gets to take advantage of kind of like transhumanist, like improving the human body through technology thing that I don't, I don't think a lot of stuff in like the spacefaring sci-fi really gets into. It's more of a like evil corporation cyberpunk theme to explore. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I I think have, Craig, have you read the Hunger Games? Because I've been feeling like, yo, are we gonna make this call on air right now? I feel like for four hundred, <laughs> you have to do the Hunger Game. Have you read them? I have read all of them. I would reread well, them. Okay. But anyway, point being, you guys should do the Hunger Games. They're heard so it, good. You heard it we here first, gonna folks. <laughs> we are gonna Hunger Game. But my like the most vivid description of a a version of humanity that just goes all the way down the like cosmetic alteration yeah, tunnel yeah, yeah. Is, is in the hunger games and actually sure. yes. when i when i you when you read stories now about about like cosmetic tweaks and surgery and stuff sometimes with the worst of it you do get a hunger games vibe where people are just like making themselves look like tigers and stuff <laughs> <laughs> and it, yeah that's it that's that's interesting it's interesting are there other like so you've only mentioned one alien so far on this space boat? Are there more? There's yes. more. Um, so there's one other human who's Corbin, and he works with the algae, which is used to fuel the ship, and he's very abrasive, and no one likes him. That's his main trait. <laughs> yes, subset of that trait is he's xenophobic against all the aliens on the ship. Well, that got explains. It, okay, it, great. It, I was gonna ask if he has a heart of gold, but it sounds like no. <laughs> get there he does yeah. have a twist he's got a yes. twisty heart and we'll sure. get to it all right uh there's also dr chef who is a dr. grum <laughs> who is predictably the doctor and cook because his name and his language their species has many different mouths and they communicate in like such a way that it's impossible for anyone with one mouth to say their name uh, so he has trained himself to use all of his mouths in concert to speak so that it doesn't, he can speak in like regular, uh, what the fuck is English called? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, they call it, uh, they call it, um, crim? No. They don't call clip. it like Terran. They call clip. it clip. clip. This is clip. hitting all of my favorite sci-fi tropes, which is your human mouth can't say my real name, but you may call me whatever. And you also, may call me Dr. Chef. <laughs> and then English is exists, but it's called something weird. I can't wait to hear what money is called. <laughs> That's my next thing. Um, um, so he's he's a grum. And Renata's he's like trying a, to think of what the money is right I now. I am trying to think what the, I, I think the money might just be credits, but maybe I'm just thinking uh, okay. of Star credits Wars. Credits is fine. Yeah, credits is Star Wars. I think. Yeah. But Isn't it credits in Mass Effect too? I think it's. Um, it typical. is credits in Mass Effect. I do. Mass Effect seems like a good touchstone for me on this universe where there's like more so than star trek where it's like just people with different face makeup most of the time listen like, you take that back <laughs> the, star well, trek discovery is, was, is very impressive technically this is born in the 70s when they mostly just had face makeup um there are like is, is mass effect the one where you play commander shepherd yeah yes. and you bone yeah, as many people as possible <laughs> it's it's an interesting yeah it's an interesting touch point for this because it's everybody's super horny in that one too yes um, so my my roommate has been playing mass effect but i keep getting the title mixed up i'm bad at remembering titles i guess i know that about myself but I pop in sometimes and watch her play this video game, and I just get increasingly mad because all the humans are named, like, Jenna and Ashley. And I'm like, no, if you have aliens around, like, you're not allowed to be named Jenna anymore. You have to have, like, a space name. 
Uh, also confirmed money is credits in Reasonable. this book as well. Cool. Okay. Um, all right. So there's the mouth. There's the mouth doctor chef. Yes. Oh, the other thing I was trying to say about Grums. Grum? I don't know. They are like endangered. Like their species oh. had a big civil war and almost all of them died. And now there's just kind of like they don't have a place to live and there's not enough of them to really meaningfully reproduce. So Dr. Chef says that like within the next hundred years, there won't be any more Grums left. Hmm. But he's um, also Grums have this interesting gender thing where they start. They all start as females and then they reproduce and then they become after they're done with like I guess we'd call it menopause then they become men huh and then as they enter their twilight years they become uh, effectively genderless so so it's always like you you are on one part of the procreation process then you become the other part and then you just like chill out Yes. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. Crumb. Crumb. Yeah, it's like everyone Crumb. goes in the same order. Oh, that's interesting. Since you've said this sounds like fan fiction, I'm I'm curious to hear more about like the whatever political body it is that's that's holding all of these races together. Like, I, I'd, are they all kind of refugees from from dying or destroyed planets, and they've all just banded together to to survive, or is there like a higher like a nobler oh, reason yeah. why they're like a federation mm. of planets style thing or what's the reason why all these folks are on this ship at the same time i, I mean they're like they're freelancers <laughs> like so you just do this, whatever gets you paid then yeah the <laughs> wayfarer they're yeah. kind of this like found family they are all kind of strays in one way or another like the galaxy itself is run by the well they call it the gc it's the galactic commons okay Okay. And it it has three founding species, um, one of which is the Andrisk uh, reptilian species, and then two others. Who one of are them is not. the aliens. Yes, who are very they are the universally sexy species. Every species <laughs> is attracted to them. Same. That's almost verbatim. Like they, mm-hmm. Rosemary talks about how like every species has its own standards, and like some species are attracted to others, and some aren't, and whatever. But like. Everybody thinks the aliens are sexy. They're like very sleek and reptilian, but like shiny and not like. And they have like big eyes. Yeah, are there and then there's a race of is, George Clooney. Is there a thing <laughs> where like maybe like humans are into the Grums, but the Grums aren't into humans, and then we just have to live with that like tension for eternity? <laughs> are there well, like one way street species romances? It's almost like that with the Aloon a Aloons, um, the universally sexy ones, because they have very strict, um, like societal rules about interspecies dating sure so they like everyone thinks they're sexy but for the most part they only intermingle with each other um although there is the captain ashby does have a girlfriend who is that species and because of that like it is very hush hush and they have to do like very secretive things to be together they send Um, each other she sends him paper letters which is like very old school and very like shocking uh but then it doesn't leave like a digital and expensive but then it doesn't leave like a trail I find it now very fitting that we opened our discussion of this book with OK Cupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a sexy and horny book. Hmm, I, that makes sense to me though, because if you are the universally horny species, 
and everybody's horny for you, why would you settle for anything other than your own your own kind? Like who could be as sexy and as horny as <laughs> Yeah, it's like your, how celebrities only yeah. date other celebrities. Yeah. Yeah. And so then it's always weird when like someone is like dating a random so like, some so some guy photographer or yeah, like Hugh Jackman's wife. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean nothing against her. They seem very happy together, but like so she's w- not famous. When they when they date a human, like do the other do the other ones think that they're like a pervert or something? Like is it is is dating outside your species like effectively a fetish that you have to deal with or what? It's the... like you get shunned. Like you, sure. she's a um she she runs like aid and military aid and transport ships and stuff and like if she if they find out there's a possibility she'll stop getting jobs um mm-hmm. and she'll be ostracized by her crew and her family and friends yes okay so what is the what's the book like like how are we how are we meeting all these people is it a, is it a thing where we have like an audience surrogate character it, yeah or it's, is it's it... rosemary the okay movie. And it's so well done because because she is new and naive, but then she does have this background in languages and other cultures. So she is like contextualizing. And so and it does shift to other perspectives, but we start off with Rosemary and it's just a really good way to get us into the ship. Yeah, There's um, also there's, there's one, one other alien character. Movie. Yes. Um, who's Ohan. And they are a Cianot pair. Um, which is the the Cianot people. There's a virus on their homeworld that they call the Whisperer that once they're infected, it like essentially like it lets them see time. Like they become super smart and super adept at math and physics and bond with this virus in their brain. Um, But the virus is also slowly killing them. And they die very young, um, which they are very in favor of generally. It's like, well, this is this is what we give in order to, um, you know, have this gift to be able to see things that normal like they can see math. It's it's like a higher level of intelligence. Sign me up. This sounds so good. I want <laughs> to I want to be in this world. I want to meet these people. <laughs> I want to get. Math. I want to get this like advanced cat virus that can make me see math. <laughs> and and then so because of the virus, every Cyanot individual is referred to with they them pronouns. Yeah, because it's yeah. Like both of them huh. together, the the being and the virus. And then there's one other character which is Lovelace, aka Lovey, who's the ship's AI. Oh, I was wondering if there was an AI character in this book. I know that it factors into the whole series. So, okay, cool. Yeah, so she's lovey. How is that done? Like, how do you meet? Is it like, does that character have a physical form? Or is it just the, like the computer of the ship? Or Craig, that's such a good question. Uh, oh, neat. Okay. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> uh, because it is, uh, there is some question about that. But she, at first she is just part of the ship. And we meet her because when Rosemary comes on board, Lovey is the one who greets her and does the like, checks her out and gives her like a... A like decontamination a scan, scan yes. um, because she has, she got all like the regular immunobots put in her blood, but because of the Cianot on board, 
um, there's like other special things that she needs to get. So they give her this, uh, Lovey gives her this other decontamination thing. Um, and she, Lovey is initially, we only see her as wired into all of the systems of the ship. Um, but we soon find out when we switch to Jenks's point of view that, uh, she has like her own like fully formed personality and is basically like her own sentient being, even though in the world at the time, there's a lot of debate over whether AI can be sentient. Oh, because, because Lovelace is like a standard program. Like Lovelace is like an Alexa kind of, but like better named after Ada Lovelace who invented the computer. Cool. 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 Yes. 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 (laughs) Um, But lovey is this unique, iteration of Lovelace who's like evolved as she gets to know the crew and all that and so she has her own um you know she's she's like a Jarvis I guess or, or smarter child if anyone was ever on <laughs> smarter <laughs> child yeah. in yes. the early 2000s god rip in peace smarter child <laughs> <laughs> and so Jenks and Lovey are in love Ooh. There is a way to put AIs in bodies, but it's super illegal. <laughs> but- because because there is this controversy about like are should AIs like be allowed to be people? Like is this being is this going too far if you put an AI in a body? Like do they have, they rights? have rights? Yeah. It is interesting that that this civilization is doing it backwards from the way we did it, which is let's give them bodies first and then work <laughs> out the intelligence part later. <laughs> Yeah, there are robots doing backflips right now in yeah. Boston. And we got we'll- all those creepy <laughs> Japan lady robots. And people are falling in love with them. It's true. It's true. Oh, so man. That's sort of where they're at, where she is telling him, like, I'm happy being an AI, but if you want me to have a body and you're okay taking the risk involved in doing so, like, I would be happy to have a body, too. Okay. Um, so that's kind of like his major subplot is the debate over whether or not it's worth the risk to do this hmm. thing that's super illegal. And all, so it's, it kind of sounds like, so are these kind of character arcs and character relationships, like, are they in the background of a, we got to do this special wormhole job plot? Or is this like the... Yeah, like, so here, here's what I love about it is... At toward the beginning of it, um, their captain Ashby, he's like, okay, now that we have Rosemary as a clerk, like this kind of escalates our Yelp profile or whatever, and we can get better jobs. And so they get this um, prestigious job to do a tunnel for the Hadra Ka, which is the titular small angry planet. Mm. And it's um, it's a higher paying job. It's a little bit more dangerous because it's very close to the galactic core where things get like warpy and angry. Um, but it takes them <laughs> it takes them a year to get from where they are to just to the starting point for their tunneling job. So like, yes, they are on the way to do this job, but they have like a fucking literal year. Sorry. They have a hacking literal year. The seal is broken. It's easier not to say sorry after now. (laughs) (laughs) This is why God made the explicit tag on iTunes when God invented iTunes. Yeah. Thank goodness. Uh, So so they have a year to go 
and get to this place to do their tunneling job, but there's, like, not a lot that they can do to make that journey faster, so we just sort of have this year in space to explore all these character arcs and make these interesting pit stops along the way and, and you know, learn and grow horny together. Yeah, and the, the government that... The government that gave them the job, like, is aware of this, like, because it's such an inconvenience to go all the way out for it to take so long. They essentially like are paying for their entire journey and all their supplies and said like, it should take you like a year, but as long as you do it within like 18 months, we'll call it squaresies. So that there are a lot of like pit stops and like when something breaks, they'll make a, a side journey to a different port to like visit someone's friend to help them fix the ship and okay. all sorts of things like that. So it kind of it felt to me while reading it almost like and I I very strongly agree that not every book needs to be made into a visual medium. You know, not every book needs to become a television show or a movie, but this felt very episodic like it would yeah. be kind of like a a space dramedy where each of these little <laughs> these little pockets of of trips that they're taking on their way to do this tunneling job would be its own individual episode because each subplot usually gets tied up after one of their encounters in one of these side tangential trips that they're taking it would be like an Arrested Development season four where it's just like each, you know, they only get Rosemary for like one episode and they do all her stuff and then move on. I mean, they do interact with each other a little bit more than that, but it is kind of like, and now we're on this planet and now Sissix is getting her moment to shine. Hmm. Yeah. You, you that's, mentioned- that's, go ahead. No, Andrew. I was just, I was just going to say that's it. I would, I would be curious to know if anyone had thought about adapting this because the, there are so many streaming services just trying to make it right now. They just they just need content. And it feels like it would be an interesting fit because it's like it's a hangout show. It's a sci fi show. It feels like it wouldn't cut co- like the the maybe the some of the effects would cost money, but you wouldn't have to have that many like sets or like shoot on location or anything. Yeah. You I feel just like need it could work. Spaceship. Yeah. I'd watch it. It's reminding me, did any of you guys watch the, um, it was a Nickelodeon show called Space Cases? Space Cases? Yeah! Yes. Space Cases! <laughs> what it's a reminding good me of show! Because it's a bunch yes. of misfits on a ship. In that oh show, the ship God. was a character. Is the ship a character in this, or, or not really? Well, that's the AI, right? Only as much as Lovey is. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Okay, all right. Whoa! I can never remember the name of that show. It's called Space Cases. I can Cases. remember so <laughs> many Saturdays watching it. Like... I have visceral memories of like the the visual aesthetic of that show, right? But I always the name Space Cases is very bad, and I always <laughs> forget because it means nothing, quite honestly. Um, but yeah, what a good show! Yeah, I, uh, Billy Moomy of Lost in Space is actually—I don't remember if he was the show runner or just the um, the creator of the concept, but. Yeah, he was. That was him. Huh. That's great. That's, That's really and uh, Peter cool. David, the comic book author. Neat. Oh yeah, Jewel State was in that. Man, she was on uh, Firefly also. Just yes. Do a whole podcast about space cases now. All right, we can. <laughs> yeah, we can talk Gosh, about it. Dang it. 
Anyway, um, I'm getting I'm getting a serious space cases vibe from this. Yeah, and you from invoked character focused sci fi series. Yeah, 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 the Firefly comparison for sure. Because mm-hmm. um, it's a lot of like the ship that they're on to is like an older model that the the techs have kind of turned into this like excellent running like super cool ship but it, it's basically a piece of junk that was put back together by these very over invested mechanics that's a that's a like time worn trope in sci-fi like you got like the millennium falcon and others uh that's right it's the millennium falcon excuse me you know what and it is also like the millennium, like um in solo when you had lando who definitely wanted to bone that robot and then the <laughs> robot became the millennium falcon and it framed everything else in a very uncomfortable light going forward every time he calls it she yeah totally that's yeah it's always it's- a very uncomfortable like it, it's a star trek thing too there's that there's that um very good Futurama episode that got the Star Trek TOS actors all back oh, together. Yes. Yes. And the the like alien like the, the alien uh entity thing writes a, a Star Trek script and one of the lines is that, that Kirk has to say, My my ship, which I love like a woman, is disabled. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, these captains wanting to like bone down on their ships, like the ship being a a, a romantic partner is a common trope yes. in, in this kind of fiction. And and also the the kind of like older than the new technology in this universe, which is like a way both to make the protagonists like kind of plucky and uh, ingenious and innovative, but also to like let you know what the standards of the world are um, as well. Um, you were mentioning earlier the like so Rosemary is like she's book smart not street smart right and so she's encountering these people is like what is her arc in the story is it like oh things are different than what I learned or like what is there a tension there um not that so much as her main tension is really around this mysterious past yeah she she has has a secret yeah 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 And we eventually find out that she grew up incredibly wealthy as the daughter of uh, a tech mogul who was selling arms to both sides of a war. And um, they found out, like, as she was just graduating with, like, all of these certificates that would allow her to clerk, um, this news broke and she was hounded constantly on Mars. So she decided to spend all of the money that she inherited to get a new identity chip and sign up for the first long haul clerk job that she could get. Mm, okay. Um, so it's kind of like admitting that to them and realizing that they love her for who she is and that uh, they they don't hold her accountable for her father's mistakes and also um, kind of discovering like she's a, she's pretty naive, but she kind of has her wits about her. She's not really like alien xenophobic or anything. Um, but there is a moment where her ability, her like sociological and language skills come into play and help save them all from this pirate uh, takeover of their ship. And, like, she's praised for, like, you kept a cool head, and you did this, and you did that, and you're really part of the crew now kind of moment. Well, and then her other thing is, so, Sissix is an Andrisk, and they um, they take a side trip to visit her home planet, which is, I forget what it's called, it's not called, like, Andrisk, it's something else, but they have this really interesting society, the Andrisks, and this is one of my favorite parts, 
where one thing that, that we've known throughout is that they're much more physically affectionate than humans and much more comfortable with nudity and like Sissix only wears clothes basically to make the humans feel comfortable and she basically like always wants to be cuddling and it's just sort of platonic and then we learn that the Andrisks have like your Hatch family and your Feather family and some a third kind of family. It's your your family that you're hatched into. Um, and then your family that once you're an adult and you um, get your feathers, you choose for yourself. And then once you are ready to raise hatchlings, uh, you start a, a house family. Yes, yeah, a, house, a family, house family. Yes. And then you're like the elders. So they they don't value children the way that humans do. They basically, um, like, once you're an adult, then you have value to the society. Hmm. And, you know, they like children or and they raise them, but if... Um, but they don't raise their own children, essentially. Right. Like they, yeah, they don't raise their own children. So Sissix has had some fertile eggs that hatched, but then she gave them to another family, to a house family to raise. And that's just what everyone does. Like, you have the eggs, but then someone else deals with them. And she explains it like, well, when you're this age, it's expected that you want to, like, travel and, you know, get your education. And you don't, just because you are ready to, like, have these fertile eggs doesn't mean you're ready to raise these children. Am I right? And I'm like, oh, you are actually so right about that? Uh, <laughs> this is every one of those, like, can you believe this family in Manhattan has this budget articles where they're like sending their kids to a boarding school family makes in northern so New Jersey. That that one article that crops up every two years where it's like two thousand dollars on candles and you know it's smoking the one where like how can you, how you make a million dollars and still feel like you're just scraping by. <laughs> <laughs> we it's only go on three vacations a year because you're really because you're sending all of your hatchlings to fancy boarding school. That's why. It, it's just there because they're all on Gossip Girl. That's what it is. Um, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, oh my exactly. gosh, I would love like a Gossip Girl style book that's just about the Andrists <laughs> and their and their Hatch families because they are all like polyamorous and they're all like very casual sexually, and I feel like that would be a really good making for some gossip. I love how horny not, this book is. I yeah. love how horny it is. I think that's probably what makes it feel like fan fiction partly, right? It's yes. just that it's like, yeah, I'm horny. What's your problem? <laughs> like- <laughs> yes. And so anyway, so back to Rosemary. So when she's <laughs> she's observing all the Andrists and just like seeing how casually horny they are, and then she's like, Sissix, I didn't realize like how casually horny you pe- your people are. You must just be horny and unsatisfied all the time. Uh, do you want to hook up? And then... But even, I mean, like even beyond the horniness too, like physical, like they're at a market one day and there's this older Andrisk um, uh, merchant there who is kind of an outcast and she just... uh, she seems to have like the andrisk equivalence of autism hmm. yeah okay um, they don't use kind... that word but they describe that like she has trouble like reading social norms sure. and like she doesn't fit in um and so when uh Sisek sees her like essentially they just like hug and cuddle and they're strangers but that's like what the species is like 
it's like when you like sometimes will sling an arm around your best friend except times a hundred it's it's the way that this is this is gonna make it sound like it's turning back around a horny but it's not when i was in high school and i was just like oh i'm queer like all of my other female friends who were like oh we're queer we would just like we were all over each other all the time and not in like a a sexy way or not even in a flirtatious way but just in a like oh human contact yeah 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 that's also just how all the theater kids at my school were all Also the time. that, yes. Uh-huh. Just like, oh, there's only one couch backstage. I guess 27 of us will sit on this couch. We're theater kids. I think the Chamber Singers, which is the choir that Craig and I were in in college, yep. and mm-hmm. we just had a reunion, and it was very good. Uh, there was a concept known as the Web of Spit. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. is the, uh, the, the, the connective, like, Kevin Bacon-style game where you could just tell who had kissed who, and everybody was linked together forever in this web of spit. Yeah, yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying this, like, oh, like, my other queer friends when I was in high school, like, my friends that I go to science fiction conventions with don't, we are not still <laughs> like this to this day. <laughs> sure. It's not like, oh, it's Dragon Con, time to make out with all my friends. <laughs> Which is just a thing that happens. Um, but yeah. but Rosemary recognizes that not only is Sissix like horny all the time and not hooking up with anyone, but also like literally she's constantly holding herself back from like hugging and draping herself all over her friends as a sign of affection. So Rosemary is kind of like, you can do that with me if you want. Like it's very clearly hurting you not to, but also oh. let's totally hook up. Yeah, she's DTF and DTC, down to cuddle. Mm, mm-hmm. That's nice. D- does that like pro- does that create dramatic tension, or is that just like, hey, I'm your friend, let's do this, let's? And then the book is like, cool, we did that, and then it moves on to the like the tunneling again. Very, More very the much the latter. Yeah. yeah. Um, they do try to keep it secret from the crew for a little bit, just for like e- easiness, I guess. But then it's not a big deal at all. And uh, Sussex is like, oh, if we go to a planet and there's another Andrus because I want to hook up with that other Andrus, is that cool? And Rosemary's like, yeah, I get it. That's your culture. No big deal. I I guess we don't actually see because there is there would be the possibility that like Rosemary says that's cool, but then it actually happens and she realizes she feels jealous like that doesn't actually happen or come up again at all. But I could (laughs) see that maybe potentially being a thing Um, when you need to like fill out an episode when you're adapting this for TV. That is definitely what's going to happen for sure. So, all right, everybody's on this ship. Everybody's horny. Everybody's having a good time. You mentioned that this did, this book did eventually get to a, a, I'm now using the word climax feels very loaded, but <laughs> it did get to a to a a, a it, it did build to a climax. What's that? What's that like? When do we get there? Very near the end, okay. somewhat abruptly. That's typical of climaxes. Yeah. <laughs> so the the um the species that Rosemary's father was selling the weapons to, they the way that their species is set up, like they constantly require all decisions to be universal. Like they need universal consensus. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Kind of also opposite of Quaker though, because they're also very violent. Yeah. So if you are out of consensus, if you fall out of consensus with the rest of your clan, you're like cast out and that's like worthy of being killed. 
Mm. Um, so but all then of- also you start a new clan. So like they're called the Taremi, but then there's a bunch of different kinds, like subsects of Taremi. Alex's so- friends and Steve's <laughs> buddies, people who got ostracized. Yeah, okay, cool. So all of the different ones are in this kind of like constant civil war and they're very, to them, like everything has meaning. So they're all circling the center of the galaxy the core of the galaxy because that holds a certain type of meaning for them but they're all constantly fighting amongst themselves and one particular clan has decided that they are not interested in the civil war anymore they are interested in working with the galactic commons so just this one clan is being inducted into the galactic commons and that's why they're building this tunnel to make it and easier they're, and they're the Taremi Ka. yes um, so they're to make it easier for them to reach like the center of the more populated parts of the galaxy. Um, and once the gang gets there, um, we switch to the point of view of one of the what the hell are they called again? <laughs> that's a good that's a good sci-fi moment. The mm-hmm. I don't remember which part you're talking about. The the name of the species. <laughs> The a- the Aluans? No, the the name of the the um that we were just talking about um the Andrisk? No, the Taremi. Yes. Okay, the Taremi. Yes, the Taremi. Um, they. I have like literally a wiki page open with the names of all the characters because I'm so no. bad at remembering character <laughs> names. Same. I have. I have. I do an that elaborate every, Google Doc. every time I talk about any book or TV show. <laughs> Um, but so we, we get into the, the head of one of the Taremi who um, has is falling out of consensus with the rest of this clan that is making peace with the Galactic Commons. And he's approached by like the the head of the clan and said, like, I can tell that you don't agree with what we're doing right now. Um, look into your heart. And if you don't agree with it then you're gone but if you find that you do agree with it then we hope you do and we welcome you back and he decides that he really doesn't agree with it so he rides out just as they're about to tunnel um and shoots their ship right as they're about to start the tunneling process which is like incredibly dangerous and involves like ripping a hole in space and time Mm -hmm. and all of these like advanced mathematical calculations um and it just sends them into a tailspin like they are just can't steady the ship because there's all this damage to it all of their comms are down yeah. And Lovey also- goes offline and, and Lovey does like a lot of the calculations and stuff. So then we see Sissix and the text trying to like calculate stuff by not quite by hand, I guess, but they have to do a bunch of stuff like manually that they're not used to doing manually. Mm-hmm. Everyone's mm-hmm. very stressed. <laughs> <laughs> and um Ohan, the Cianot pair. The other thing about having the like I said, the the thing about having the whisper disease is that it kills you real quick. Um, so he's ending, he's reaching the end of, they're reaching the end of their lifespan 
and they keep it's called the waning so they're waning with a capital w it's a thing so they keep like passing out while trying to do the calculations and you know it would probably be one thing if it was a regular jump but because everything is chaos like they keep needing to give them like drugs to keep them awake and calculating so just very there's like these 20 pages where everything is very tense and happening all at once (laughs) yes one thing that we skipped over there are several stops that they make that aren't necessarily all important but one of them that kind of was important was they had to make this emergency stop and they found this like um colony of of heretic cyanots who ha- there is a cure to the whisperer virus but just it's very taboo to take it because you know it's part of their culture that you become this pair and then you wane and then that's it and that's like your whole purpose but there is this kind of handful of cyanets who have cured themselves of the virus and they a they still keep their math skills because the virus like permanently rewrites your brain or whatever so that stays but then b they can like they with the virus your lifespan is like 30 and without it it's like 130 so there are all these like elderly chill good at math cyanets and they <laughs> give them just a dose of the cure just in case ohan changes their mind about wanting the cure so they they have this like chekhov's whisperer cure on the ship with them okay okay and he so after this all happens they realize the damage of the ship had damaged lovey completely and there's a chance that if they do a hard reset when she comes back she'll recognize her memory files essentially like she took a nap and now she's awake again but there's also the chance that because the memory files are damaged the fresh ai will erase everything and start from scratch Uh and unfortunately that is what happens oh Uh uh-oh so, yeah, so she's a, lost so she sad... lost her custom person. Mm. Yeah, so like she died. Mm. Like the being known as Lovey died. This is and like then Wally again. Oh. But because everyone is so upset um, about this and about like everything that just happened and so just like exhausted and traumatized, uh, Ohan is dying and Corbin, like the cranky man who no one likes, against his will gives him the whisperer cure. Essentially being like, listen, we can't lose someone else. Everyone is so upset and so torn apart and everything is in shambles right now. And we can't lose another crewmate and you're being selfish by not doing this. So I'm doing it for you. Hmm. Uh, BT dubs, Corbin is an illegal clone. And that was found out about two thirds of the way through. (laughs) And he also didn't know it. His father raised him as if he was a biological child and not a clone. Uh So it's also a surprise to him when he's thrown in jail. (laughs) And he's like, for what? And they're like, for being a clone. And he's like, excuse me? Okay, that's good. And it kind of, in a very like tropey but i was kind of into it sort of resolution he he's very as we said xenophobic against all the aliens to begin with but he's super xenophobic against sissix and he calls her a lizard all the time which is like an ethnic slur sure Uh sure that makes sense but in order to get him, uh, Rosemary is able to find through bureaucracy a loophole that will get him out of jail. And it involves being married to someone 
who's... Well, not married. She's his legal guardian. Yes. To someone who is not... Their species does not have rules against cloning, and Sissix is the only one who is from a species that doesn't have rules against cloning. (laughs) Mostly because, as she says, like, we're not stupid enough to ever have thought of it or tried it anyway. Sure. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, so she is kind of stuck with him. Like, he can't leave her presence for the next year. Huh. And they hate each other, so it's kind of like, oh, but you did this for me anyway, even though you hate me, because it was the right thing to do, and maybe I was wrong about you moment. Hmm. So is this, like, as this is wrapping up, and as they are, like, hitting these kind of, like, end ending relationships with each other does it feel like i know the books are not in this series they are not like you need to read them in order they don't continue from one to the other from what i understand so like as these relationships come to a at least somewhat of a conclusion does it feel like you want does it feel like the book is like setting up other books with these characters that we just don't get or is it really like just kind of sticking in the landing on these folks and then maybe we'll come back to this universe later I know the next one is about so what what ends up with um Lovelace, formerly Lovey, is that Jenks had bought this body kit to put Lovey into a body and then decided not to use it, but they still you know, they had Chekhov's AI body cat also. <laughs> and so one of the the modern friends who is not a main crew member, but her name is Pepper, and she comes back to help do repairs. And she's like, hey, Lovelace, here's what's happened is this guy Jenks was in love with you before, but not you now. And that's going to be really weird for everybody. So how about if I put you in this body and you come back and have adventures with me and we'll get some like new different, you know, we'll get them a Google assistant instead. (laughs) And so the next book I know is about Lovelace and Pepper and their business. So. It, it does set that up. Um. It does. Like, overall, I would say it it feels, for the most part, satisfying. Mm-hmm. Like, there's yeah. not any dangling um, plot holes or, any, or uh, plot strings or anything that you're like, oh, I really need this resolved. But I came to care about these characters so much that I was real put off when I looked up and saw that these characters don't come back, for the most part, in the other books. And that she's currently not planning on writing any more stories about them. And I was like, but I love them. I want to know. I want season two of this. Yeah, that kind of <laughs> it kind of makes me wonder what the what the point is almost like you're you're going to do a book that has a plot, but it's kind of a back burner thing because you're doing so much character development work and so much world building work. And like, why would you why would you take the trouble to flesh out these characters and to make them and their relationships with 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 one another so intricate and then say okay bye forever like i'm never going to come back that just it seems like maybe it's a good like creative writing exercise <laughs> but as a way to as a way to handle a series of books that you're trying to sell to people it feels a little weird to me I wonder to what extent these characters maybe make cameos, kind of. Mm. Like, I know a lot of romance novel series kind of follow this. Not quite to this extent, because there's so many characters on the ship, but where it's like, well, this book is about these two characters getting together, 
And then the next book in the series is about that woman's best friend. And you still check in with the characters from the first book because they're sort of in that universe. Sure, sure. sure. I mean, I, I know the uh, the ton of French uh, yes. Dublin Murder Squad mm-hmm. books kind of do this, too, where there are characters who provide a continuity but it is usually from the perspective of somebody new every time a new book comes out yeah i'm not saying it can't be done it just i'm just saying it's, it is I, don't, I feel like it's not the default first sh- way yeah. to way to do this if so, you're if you're taking all the trouble to establish these characters in the and, first place and i'm gonna like just like grab the wheel and make a hard left back to a question I asked earlier. <laughs> and I think like maybe this, maybe this kind of gets to it though, is that like, because we know we're not coming back to these characters, the book doesn't sound like it ends with a, like an unresolved strife that they're going to go off and have to deal with like in book two. Right. So one of the, again, like one of the words that comes up a lot in this series in general is that it, it is optimistic. It is cheerful. One of the quotes I found from her is that she says, what I write is the stuff that happens after the struggle. When and she's talking about like world building, where like a bunch of bad stuff has happened, and now she's just kind of like, like digging into the characters who live in this world. So, what about the book? Does any of it like resonate with this like notion that if you're looking for something either positive or like instead of imagining the dystopia dark? sci-fi world that a lot of what we get is like what is it doing instead i mean i would i would agree with all of that and as i i sort of alluded to earlier um you know this idea of being like these are people that we love and we're just gonna write about them doing things and being friends and being happy together is something that i personally like buy into hard like Mm -hmm. i love that Mm -hmm, i would read mm -hmm. three more books about these characters where they don't do anything except this um and it does feel very like you know clearly bad things happen to them like i said at one point they get uh boarded by pirates at one point ashby's uh Aloon girlfriend's ship uh gets targeted by terrorists and they have to help her work that out and then clearly all the stuff with lovey and uh the explosion as they go to do that tunneling but for the most part it does present this image of space and the future as like, yeah, like there are some people that fight, there are some wars, but generally we're all just living in a society and you find people you like and you make a life with them. And it's like, we meet, we hear about people's families, we see the relationships develop between them. They're all generally happy um, and grateful for their companionship with each other. Um, you know, you feel like these people are your friends, except in space. (laughs) That kind of makes it sound like Rosemary, as someone who is, like, carrying a secret with her, is the outlier, in a way, of, like, someone who's, like, running away from a thing is different from all the other people who are just kind of, like, gonna figure their stuff out together. Hmm. Yeah, I I think, and it might even be, I mean, it might be that they ran away from their shit earlier. Sure, um, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. And we're just meeting her now when she's being accepted into this group that already is pretty happy. But I mean, even within them, the backstories that we get are pretty chill. Hmm. Um, You know, Kizzy has loving parents who she writes to all the time and who sent her care packages Sissix has a huge loving family that they visit. Um, Corbin doesn't get along with his clone dad. 
but he's just like also grumpy so whatever you know he's generally just like corbin yeah <laughs> that's just his deal classic corbin <laughs> um I also think, you know, in in the hands of a different writer, that thing with Rosemary's Secret, I mean, that could easily be they are like, you didn't trust us, we don't trust you, like, get off the ship, you're fired, and then she has to do something to, like, prove herself and come back, and instead everyone just kind of takes a minute and they're like, no, well, you know, that's your dad, that's not you, and, like, it's kind of shitty that you lied, but we understand why you did it, and just, uh... You know, just just be chill going forward, and we'll be okay. And it's like very mature all around. Hmm. Sure, which just like speaks to a worldview that Chambers seems to be infusing these books with. Um, that yes. that is not the like this is a book about conquering planets, or this is a book about encountering species violently that we hadn't before, or anything like that. Which is which are you know, two big tropes of sci-fi of, of this kind of style. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, like I said it a hundred times, I'm going to keep saying it. Everything about this setup is so up my alley. It's so what I want from fiction. <laughs> and I like part of the reason why I was so resistant to this when people were like, Oh, you'll like this is that it felt very like the idea of like, Oh, and they're on this ship and they have to take this journey felt very like, hard sci-fi sure sort of whatever to me which i don't care about (laughs) (laughs) yeah i and i could certainly see because i don't really like hard sci-fi either i'm very resistant to anything that has like too many technical terms or too many made up words and i can't always tell the difference Um, (laughs) but i could see where if you are a person who feels differently that you would read this and be like i want more space battles i want more conflicts so if you're looking for that experience from a book uh it's probably maybe not for you but for me 10 out of 10 loved it it. (laughs) yeah a lot like the the worst of Star Trek, I think for me, is the, the the stuff where they lean too far into we gotta reverse the polarity on the deflector dish to shoot tachyon particles of the aliens. Like, fuck off with that. Like, why don't you <laughs> why don't you present me some like some human themes using your future setting? Something where I can look at that and I can be like, that's a metaphor for something that I encounter in my life. What a good job they did with that. Earlier, (laughs) one of you two mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy. And one thing that I I know some people complained about, but I really loved about that first Guardians of the Galaxy movie is throughout it, they're just like, we have to get the orb. And they just keep calling it the orb and they don't bother to explain what's in it or like, (laughs) like they, they like 1% explain like, oh, it's important and we need it. But like. And I didn't care at all. I was just like, yeah, they need that orb. I'm on board. Like, that's really all I need is, like, there's an orb and we need it. And I, <laughs> and I like these characters that are trying to get the orb, and I'm here for but it. What's the power source for the orb? I need to know. I need What operating well, system does the orb run? <laughs> well, and I need to know how it fits it in, into my understanding of science as a human in the world. I need to be able to understand it or else I can't read the book. That's really how it works. Yeah. Um, well, thanks so much for, for joining us ladies and thanks for reading a a good book that you enjoyed for once oh so nice thank you so much for giving us this opportunity (laughs) thank you to the secret for bringing us together 
of course. Yeah, both the book and the concept. Yes. Um, if folks want to know more about your show, where should they go? Uh, they can go to our website, which is worstbestsellers.com. They can follow us on Twitter, where we're at worstbestseller with no S. Uh, and that's because the S had to be rebooted and it never came back. <laughs> it's just RIP to the S. And uh, we have a Facebook, which is facebook.com slash worst bestsellers with the S because Facebook has a longer character limit. <laughs> okay. In the great social media wars, I guess Facebook wins. Facebook wins more <laughs> characters. Uh, I'm looking at your website right now. Your live show for Interview with the Vampire just went up. I, whenever we record, we're recording this in early June. I'm not sure this is when it will go up. But uh, folks should go check that out. And as you said earlier, the five people you meet in heaven sounds terrible. Bad? <laughs> sounds bad. <laughs> sounds like yeah, a mess. You, you really should listen to that five people you meet in heaven episode just to validate all the suffering that we went through. <laughs> because that book truly was so much worse than I thought it would be. It was yes. like fucking traumatic. <laughs> who, are the, who are the people, though? Well, so spoilers, Uh the last person that he meets in heaven Mm -hmm. is this little girl who died in the Vietnam War that when he was a soldier and he saw her die, but no one believed him. And she had to wait in heaven for him like forever. Well, that feels emotionally manipulative. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe it was World War II, but they were in the Philippines. Anyway, a girl who died, (laughs) who like burned alive in a war still has burns in heaven because she needs to teach him a lesson through her terrible death so that he a white man can feel better about himself i just i the version of heaven i was taught about is that if you still have things you need to learn by the time you're up there you're you're did it bad you don't get too late for you yeah like you should have you should have learned better when you're still on earth if you make it to heaven i want to meet mario and sonic (laughs) mega man spongebob um and rocco and it's gonna, we're gonna have a modern, modern life. Yeah, that's, we're gonna live a modern life in heaven. All five of us. The most incredible crossover event in history. Uh, if you want to email us here at Overdue about your spacefaring adventures or the five people you meet in heaven, you can do that at overduepod at gmail.com or hit us up twitter.com or facebook.com slash overduepod. No S. Don't do it. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? They should go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our internet website. We have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and our RSS feed. You can use any of those to subscribe to our show and get new episodes when they come out. We also have a Patreon at Patreon.com slash OverduePod. That's how we found this book in the first place for for people to read it. So that's good. Um, anything else? I think I'm good. I don't need to, to prolong the spiel. No, that's but, uh, that's the spiel. If folks haven't listened, they should go back and look up our episode that was uh, recorded in January of 2019 with the worst bestsellers on The Secret Changed My Life because it really did change all of our lives together. Yeah, it changed all of our lives. And thanks thanks to Renata and Kate for coming on our show and talking about this horny sci-fi book. <laughs> Thank you so much for having us. It was delightful. Truly, truly delightful. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Until we talk to you next week, try to be happy.
That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>